Welcome to 10,000 More, the podcast that explores the topics of grief, mental health, love, and everything that intertwines that all together. I'm Ruby Falk, and whatever it is that brought you to me, I'm very grateful for it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Um, Today with me, I am joined by Amy. Amy's mom has something called primary progressive aphasia, and she is joining us today to talk about what it is like to grieve someone who is still here physically. Um, So Amy, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me on your podcast, Ruby. And I just I want to say thank you to everyone who is listening. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I'm going to turn it over to you and, and let you start start sharing. Okay. Um, well, so just a small background. My mom has been diagnosed with something called primary progressive aphasia, which is a neurological disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, aphasia just refers to difficulty with speech. And aphasia is actually very common in people who have had strokes. Mm-hmm. Um, but primary progressive aphasia is it's a neurological s- syndrome. And what it means is that language capabilities slowly and improper- progressively become impaired, but it's not from a stroke or any kind of brain injury. Um, They believe it's related to other neurodegenerative diseases Mm. like frontal temporal lobe dementia or Alzheimer's disease. I am not a neurologist, so most of what I know is a combination of, you know, self-education through Wikipedia and the things I picked up going to the doctor with my mom. And my mom was diagnosed... I want to say about three years ago, but honestly, it could be as many as five. It's it's kind of hard to tell. It has been, unfortunately, in the last year or so that it's really gotten bad, where mm-hmm. she, I think if most people met her today, they would assume that she's had a stroke because mm-hmm. on top of the language difficulties, there have been some physical symptoms that have come up as well. She's really not, her hand-eye coordination is not there. Her balance is not there. And it it's been very hard on my family and it's been very hard on us because my mom was the most capable person ever. Um, my favorite author always joked that whatever you dress up as for Halloween is who you truly want to be (sighs) and my, or who you truly are really. And my favorite memory of my mom's Halloween costumes is all the years she was wonder woman. And it was very Mm -hmm. appropriate because my mom could do anything like, yeah, I always tell people like, if my mom had been born a few years later, she would have been Sheryl Sandberg before Sheryl Sandberg was Sheryl Sandberg. (laughs) Like that is the kind of person that we're dealing with. My mother, um, I mean, my mother is still very intelligent. That is the thing about her condition is cognitively, she is completely there. You can totally tell if you're dealing with her only through email and text, you would have, other than the fact that she texts very slowly, you would have no idea that anything's wrong with her. Mm. But when you try to talk to her, there are days that I can't understand what she's saying. And that is so hard. It is so difficult. Um, It is just so difficult because this is 
this is obviously a person I love very much. And on top of that, um, I am someone, this will become obvious by the end of this podcast, I love to talk. Like that is how I interact with the world is by conversation. Um, I'm, I, I don't know if this is because of it or just a weird coincidence, but um, I'm really dyslexic, so I've never been much of a reader. So it wasn't until I discovered audiobooks and all these other things that the world really opened up to me. So mm. my primary way of learning, particularly growing up, was through conversation and interaction. Yeah, yeah. So the hardest part about this, and there isn't one hard part. There's so many hard parts. So right. In, in my case and why I related so much to some of the things that you guys, that you have talked about on your podcast with everybody is there are a lot of similarities. And one of the ones in particular that just struck me was like you had a whole segment and you joked about wanting to do a podcast about like just stupid things that people say to someone in grief. <laughs> and that one in particular has been so difficult for me personally because there are just some things that like if I express frustration to anybody about like what I'm dealing with, I immediately hear from people, well, if it's hard for you, imagine how hard it is for her. What? And like there are people who say that like as if I am just not oh thinking about you know, how hard this must be for my mom. That's like, what is making it so hard for you too? Yeah. It, it, there is just, oh my God, the lack of self aware. I'm like, I can't, whatever. Okay. Keep going. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, 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 please. Um, but like that, that was what inspired me to like reach out to you and ask if you had talked about this on your podcast, because I think yeah. there are a lot of people who are experiencing, especially now that, you know, we have the medical technology to keep people alive mm. much, much longer. But we unfortunately now have all these degenerative diseases that cause yeah. our loved one to not be the person who we remember. Mm. It It is just so difficult. Um, and that's what made me want to reach out to you to talk about this because I know there are people who can understand. And primary progressive aphasia is a relatively new condition. Um, there's not a lot of support out there yeah. for people. And when my mom first got diagnosed, I was looking for, you know, support groups. I was looking for this. And I found a group on Facebook that I was a part of for a very short period, but then people started scaring me a little oh, bit God. Yeah, because the they just were a little, yeah. they were a little too intense. And yeah. I know they were all people who meant well, but it, it felt like I was getting bombarded by messages from people of like, be prepared that this horrible thing is about to happen. Oh, be no. prepared that this horrible yeah. thing is about to happen. And I'm like, I get that you want to like warn me about what's going to happen, but you're not helping. I am, I am someone right now who is scared, who is, who needs support and I'm not feeling support here. Um, mm, yeah. And yeah, I can, and the biggest thing that I think almost anyone who's got a family member who's really sick that it causes is just, it is a disruption in the family unit where my mom, who yeah. was, despite what my father would protest to say, my mom was the head of the family. Like <laughs> my dad will make all the jokes he wants, but I know for a fact that he and all of his brothers have no problem with a matriarchal family. Right. Like, they married strong women. They know what they did. Right. And now right. she 
she isn't there to be the person who's like, okay, Thanksgiving, this is what we're doing. Christmas, this is the plan. And it's falling on, it's kind of falling onto me. And even though I have an older brother and I have my dad, I was always my mom's helper. And now suddenly I'm like, wait, I'm not a chef. I'm the sous chef. Why are you putting me in charge of the restaurant? I don't know what Mm -hmm. to do. Um, so that, that in particular has been difficult for me and I've been seeing my own therapist and he is the one who really talked to me about how the reality of the situation is I am grieving my mom and it's not, it's not as, not, I don't want to say anyone's grief is easier than anything else, but when you are grieving someone who's passed, it's more people understand that people have a comprehension of grief for someone who's passing, but when you are grieving someone who's still there, no, not a lot of people really understand what you're grieving because you're not grieving the person in front of you. You're grieving the person who they were. It, it was yeah. kind of interesting because in some ways I related to uh, your guest who talked about their experience with um, being transgender and changing mm-hmm. their gender identity mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you are grieving someone who in some ways is gone, but is also still there just in a different yeah. way. I do. I do still have my mom. I can see her. I can, you know, spend time with her. And at least today I can still hear her tell me that she loves me, though I admit I don't know how much longer I will have that. And that is something that that is a fear that lives that I live with daily is like, what is what is the next step? And that's the other thing about this, this process that is so difficult is that you don't know with aphasia. Um, I have expressed to my therapist multiple times that it would be much easier if my mother, you know, had cancer or something that people understand because Mm. that, that is, even if there are very specifics within each one, people kind of get it. It's so interesting. You talk about, both just now and then before when you were mentioning like um that people under people perhaps have like more empathy for someone who is grieving someone who has actually died and so it's yeah. like all i'm hearing is like what other people think which i so get because less so now because you know i'm i'm almost 5 years removed from the loss of my dad but at first what was so hard for me was what other people were thinking that like I didn't know how to explain to them. I didn't know how to talk about it with him. I didn't know how to let them talk about it with me. It's so it's so interesting that like it's it's very much about other people, even though this is your experience. This is your loss. But like and grief just immediate very quickly becomes about other people in the room. And it, it is so interesting because even the people who are trying so hard to be supportive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. often wind up putting their foots in their mouths. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. A, a simple example is my mom has a beautiful network of friends who are trying really, really hard to do things for her, but they don't know what to do and they keep calling me. And mm. I I am so grateful that they're there, but there's this tiny part of me every time these calls come in that, that where I want to say, you know, I'm not coping the best with this. I am struggling on You're my struggling own. You're struggling too. Yeah, this is, this and, is. 
and I don't know how to help you. I, you know what would be great for my family? Can you figure out how to help us? And it's one of those situations where, where when there is a true crisis, um, my mom has had a few falls due to some balance problems that oh. were rather nasty. That is when everybody, they knew what to do. You know, one of my uh, my mom, my parents live in a classic uh, San Francisco Victorian. So my mom fell down some stairs mm. and their next door neighbors who are doctors, both were immediately like on the scene helping right away. My uh, relatives on the East Coast were sending a care package of soup. There was a basket when they came back from the hospital on their on their home, uh, on their porch with food in it. Like people knew how to react to that. So I clearly know that everyone's heart is in the right place. Right. Right. When somebody comes to me and say, and says, what should I do for your mom? I'm sitting here like, I don't really know because I don't, all the activities that I used to enjoy doing with her, either we can't do anymore or are just way harder. Yeah. And the biggest thing that my dad is always trying to make sure of is that she doesn't she doesn't remain too isolated it's interestingly Uh, a question I actually get from people a lot is well if your mom has balance issues are they thinking of moving out of their house because like most San Francisco homes there's a lot of stairs right my father pointed out that if they move out of that house she loses a lot of support because she has her best friend across the street she has friends up the hill she has all this whole community right there so is it worth it to make her possibly physically safer but then possibly she's going to be more depressed and i don't i don't have a solution for that yeah it's a very tough call and Again, I know how frustrating it must be for her to feel so stuck and yet at the same time, and I will preface this by saying patience is so not my virtue. It has never you been. Both, sister. Um, I, I am one of those people where if my browser takes more than two seconds to load something, I am yelling at my laptop that I'm going <laughs> to throw it against the wall. It, it is just a thing. And I'm trying to be patient with her, but it is hard for me because one, this is my mom. I don't want to, I don't even, I don't even say want to. I sometimes don't feel like I have a right to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. You know, boss her around, so to speak, like I'm a grown up. Right. Because right. um, I'm like, uh, not only am I your child, I am the youngest child in the family. It, is, it goes my <laughs> older brother and then me. So I'm the baby. Yeah. And suddenly I'm feeling like I'm the responsible one here. What is going on? And then in terms of family dynamic, there's then also the fact that like I, I struggle with my dad in some ways about this and trying to talk to him seriously because he obviously out of love and parent and all this parental stuff wants to just keep telling me and my brother that we're fine that everything is fine or it's going to be okay or we don't have to worry. And all we need to do is, you know, take my mom out occasionally so that she doesn't only spend her time going to doctors. And while I understand that, I also, because I work in senior healthcare, I'm like, dad, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about caregiver fatigue. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. And it's hard to have those kinds of conversations because we are all so emotionally attached to each other. Right. And I will say a flip side version of that is my brother and I are in a much better 
place relationship wise than we probably have in a long time. And some of that is age and some of that is other stuff. But a lot of that, I think, is realizing we need to be united when it comes to my mom. I'm, I'm going back to something you said just a little bit ago, mm-hmm. which was about like taking your mom's feelings into consideration as you're navigating this process, which mm-hmm. I have to be honest, is something I so cannot relate to, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like when I was grieving, you know, my dad was gone. Mm-hmm. And so it was there was like this piece of me that like I just I remember a lot of people were I was debating whether or not to leave my job. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were just like, your dad would want you to like to stay at your job and blah, blah, blah. And a part of me was like, I don't give a shit what my dad wants because he's dead. So he mm-hmm. doesn't really get a say. Mm-hmm. And also, shut up. But like, mm-hmm. but, and so there was like this piece of me that's like, I want to do stuff to take my dad into consideration and to like maintain my relationship with him. But at the same time, he's gone. So, Oh, well. So it's, I I don't, I think that's such a unique perspective is that like, yeah, when most people are grieving, like they're really only thinking about themselves, Mm -hmm. which was such a a difference I noticed when you just said that. I was like, oh my God, wait. And it's kind of a two-parter because the person that I wish I could talk to the most about this is my mom. Right. I mean, yeah, I admit, of course. I admit going through this, and sorry, people have to hear me cry. No, um, but this is, I mean, but I'm just being honest. Like going through this, uh, I have the thought constantly, I want my mom. Yeah. Like that thought hits me so often, and then I have this second realization of. No, I don't want the current mom that I have. I want my mom from like five or ten years ago who I could who I could talk to about this because I haven't had I don't know if it's the courage or the ability or whatever, and I'm slowly working on this through therapy, so I might, but I haven't had the ability to say to my mom, Mom, I don't know how to be around you right now because mm. I'm scared of hurting her and I know that she is depressed because of what she's going through. I am completely aware of how upset she must be. And I don't want to pile on that. I am for a million reasons, one of which I was always taught that when someone is going through something, I think it's called like the circle theory. So like Mm. the person who's going through it is at the very middle. Oh, yes, 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 exactly. And you can only like complain outwards. So she can literally complain to anyone. And I would argue that, you know, the circle right after her is my dad because he's with her the most and he could complain to anybody. And then it comes me and my brother and then my husband and then my mom's relatives and like going outward and like, you know, Mm -hmm, the mailman mm -hmm. would be four million levels out or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And the the idea would be though is like no one no one from outside of my circle. So like my husband would never complain to me how difficult it is for him to deal with my mother. Right. But I can do so to him. Yes. And I'm I am very lucky that he is a huge supporter and he is very very kind to me and very like and he has been a rock star through all of this. Like, I don't believe I would be getting through this as well as I could without him. Yeah. And on top of that, he's just a very patient person. So he's trying to teach me in the ways of remaining calm. 
which is, it's nice. It's nice to have that in this. I, yeah, my husband was, is very similar in that way. And, Mm -hmm. but I want, is there, do you ever want him? Or I don't know if he does, but like, Uh does he ever complain or, or, or like talk to you about this or does he wait for you to bring it up? I always wonder how like couples navigate this because Mm -hmm. for personal reasons, I'm just super interested in that. So it's usually he and I will have a conversation about it, but I will often ask his opinion on things Mm. and I'll be like, you know, and it'll be something silly of like, honey, my mom needs me to come up the hill to do her nails. And I, and I know I should do that, but I need to get all these other things done today. But if I don't go, I'm going to feel guilty. But if I do go, I'm going to feel too stressed. I don't know how to handle this. Mm. And he will try to really work through that with me. Mm -hmm. And we, and so that, and we have a lot of conversations about how I'm feeling. And I sometimes ask him, how is he feeling? And he, he's definitely, it's just a little easier for him. I, I've also been discussing some of at least my patience issues with my father and my brother. And I've asked them, uh, if maybe the issue is that my dad spends so much time with my mom that he's sort of used to the frustration and my brother is physically not in the proximity with her as often as I can, as I am. So the frustration is not as often for him where I'm in that perfect sweet spot of just enough to annoy me, but not enough for me to get used to it. Yeah. But I, I, I just, I think there's so many things at play here that it, it, you know, yes, you may be an impatient person to begin with. Like I Mm -hmm. very much relate to that. I'm the least patient. I remember (laughs) sitting at when I think it was like my third or fourth visit with my therapist right after my dad had died. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, so like, what's my timeline for when I'll feel better? Like when do you, <laughs> and she was just like, okay, this is going to take longer than I thought. <laughs> like she, she was just like, wow. Um, yeah. But that's no, who I, I am. But so what I'm saying yeah. is that like, you know, you have the, your lack of patience working against you, but you also are wishing that things could just go back to the way they were and so yeah, little. Very much so. Right. And I think what makes grief so bad and hard on people who are impatient or I'll say even say makes patient people impatient is how out of your control this is. It It's definitely that. And the reason why, going back to something I sort of briefly touched on, why at least from my perspective and – I will also flat out say that I have been very blessed in my life that all of the people that I have lost have been typically like grandparents who are all in their 90s and, you know, it was clearly very much their time and I didn't really see them suffer very much. Mm. And in this particular case, the reason I feel like grieving someone who has passed might be in some ways easier is just there is a reality that you have to accept. And that reality is rather set. This person is no longer here. Yeah. Whereas in the situation that I, or anyone who's dealing with a loved one who has Alzheimer's or has had a stroke or anything like that is that it just keeps getting worse and you don't know how much worse it's going to get. You don't know when it's going to get worse. So on top of processing your grief with what is your current reality, you then have, you then find yourself bracing for what's the worst thing that's going to, that 
that's going to happen. And kind of like I said previously, on top of, you know, my mom is not my mom. My mom can't and I can't do these fun projects that we used to do together. I also have to live every day in the, when am I not going to hear her say I love you again? When is that going to happen? Yeah. Or when is... Is she going to have to go into assisted living? What if something happened to my father? What would we do then? Like this whole thing that I'm just like, what the hell? Yeah. And for me personally, my therapist has taught me that when, when I am scared or hurt or anything, I go to rage. Anger is my safe place. Me too. So me to a hundred percent. It's really, yeah. so it is hard for me not to lash out at other people yeah. a lot. And even people who care, there are times where I've wanted to yell at them a lot. Mm-hmm. And this is particularly with some relatives, mm-hmm. um, who I know mean well, but either the way they phrased their question or the way they asked it, or just what they're doing, I just want to turn to them and snarl sometimes and be like, you know what, why don't you get on a goddamn plane and come out here and do something about it so that I don't have, so that I don't have to sit here and walk you through something that you could have found within 10 minutes on Wikipedia. Right. Right. Um, Right. So I'm, I'm trying to keep that in check because I know that that will not help anything, but there are, that is where I'm so glad I have my husband because in some ways I can, I don't want to say I unleash the rage at him because I'm not like yelling at him, but I am yelling while he is in the vicinity. Yeah. And, and he knows, he, and, and he knows it's yeah. not, you know, he, and he knows what yeah. to say. He knows how to calm me down. Yeah. He knows that sometimes, you know, I joke all the time. I'm an Aries that you just got to let the fire go <laughs> and then take a breather. And he's an Aquarius. It's an air sign. So he, I joke all the time. He's my, he's my calming breath. Wait, Aquarius isn't water? Apparently, no. Aquarius is an air sign. Huh. Yeah, I know. That surprised me. But I had to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. You really think so. You really think so, but no. That is, Um, that's my takeaway from this pot. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You learn something new every day. I think something that I, and you can tell me if like this resonates with you too, but something that I struggle with, with anger is that like, it is such, um, it is such an unappealing emotion to people that when you're grieving or when you are supposed to be sad or whatever, like however society has told us we have to like behave when it comes to death, it's like off-putting for people to associate anger and mourning the loss of someone. Does that make sense? I'm like talking as I'm thinking, but I, cause I, I think it's easier for people to, I truly believe that like, it's easier for people to be around me when I'm like crying and sad about my dad versus when I'm livid and like angry that all like that about my circumstances about like, Mm -hmm. how could he do this to us? How is this happening? Like, screw this blah blah because then people just like they're like oh god like you need to calm down I'm like no 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 this is grief this is grief. yeah no I I completely agree with you on that and 
I don't know if that's because we're women and we're not supposed to get angry. Oh, that, or, I guess I should have taken that into consideration, no, too. No, but, but there is something like that. I wonder if it's that. I wonder if just in general our society, you know, we we have certain things that you're expected to do. And when you're crying because you're in grief, people know what to do. They say, poor thing, poor thing. I'm going to try to feed you. I'm going to hug you. I'm going to do this. But when you're angry, people don't know what to do, or mm-hmm. most people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, most people don't. But it's interesting because when I think about someone in grief, this is going to be a weird comparison, but... We do such weird I, stuff on this show, so I'm ready. Okay, so my one of my... I don't believe in calling it a guilty pleasure because I don't feel bad for loving it. But one of the one of the vaguely embarrassing movies I adore is Steel Magnolias. I've and never seen it. Oh, it's really good. Oh my god! I and know. okay, so spoiler warning: a character loses her daughter during the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you can't say spoiler. Just what that movie was from like the eighties. Okay, like I know, but I'm know. saying it anyway. <laughs> so yeah, and I remember there is a scene where someone is trying to comfort her and they say, you know, well, I hope it's of some comfort that, you know, that your daughter has met her maker or is with God or something like that. And the, and uh, Sally Fields was playing the mother goes, you know, no, it doesn't make me feel better. I am not okay with this. And she just goes on this huge rant and she starts shouting about how I'm so mad. I just want to hit something. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. It winds up, it winds up turning into a funny scene because somebody says, here, hit Weezer. What? That, do you know how many people would be would give their eye teeth to say, I punched Weezer, we'll make T-shirts. <laughs> and it, it leads to people crying, but I think it's because people don't know how to react to that. They have their canned expressions for, you know, oh, well, they're in a better place. Every day uh, gets what, easier. Every day gets easier. What's supposed to happen is... You know, everything is supposed to happen right. for everything a reason. For a reason. Yeah. yeah, that one. Or like I said, mine. Well, if it, you know, if you're struggling, imagine how she feels. Oh, jeez. And I just. That is. Mm. I went on an Instagram kind of rant. It was mainly through text. But as I put it, I just needed to shout into the void. I'm not okay. And I need people to be okay with that. But they're not. But like, they're, <laughs> they're not. not. And. And it was also very hard for me because I'm I'm not used to showing this side of me. And some of that was because of growing up, I was always told by lots of people, oh, you come on too strong. You have too big a personality. You're you're too much. And so I'm used to showing only one side of people, which is like the happy, bubbly person. Where mm. but I but even though yes, my you come on too strong is great when I'm really happy and fun. Yeah, it sucks when I'm on the downside of things. I have big emotions. Right. I used to crack jokes all the time like that I I legitimately have more feelings than people or my feelings are in technicolor or you know, <laughs> my feelings are in 3D surround sound. Yeah. Yeah. But there, you know, there's a good side to that and there's a negative side to that. Totally. And that is when I am not okay, I'm not okay. And it and it's just that I I'm not going through this, the stages of grief, the way I'm a normal person. And I use air quotes saying that because what's normal does this, you kind of, you go through them in a different way with something like this. You're talking about the five uh, stages of grief. Yeah. 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 The five stages of grief, which I'm probably going to get them out of order, but I think it's like what denial, um, anger, bargaining. De- den- yeah. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression. Um, yeah. Depression. 
and acceptance. And the first stage that my family kind of went through was more acceptance, kind of, I would say acceptance mm. mixed with bargaining, but I wouldn't even call it bargaining. It was more just like, well, okay, we accept that she has this condition, but what can we do to fix it? Like what, what's the medication? What's the, is there a drug trial? Should we do this? You know, my mom exercises like three or four times a week because she's trying to, because her doctor said exercise will help keep this at bay. I mean, she's, she lost so much weight and she was not overweight, but she lost so much weight that some of her relatives, when they saw her a little later, were actually concerned about her. Oh. My mom has always been incredibly naturally skinny. I kind of hate her for it. I'm always <laughs> teasing her that, you know, she's putting the rest of us to shame because my brother and I got my father's, shall we say, peasant stock body type. <laughs> um, That's but a great it, word. And, Thank you. And like, I have, but I have said to people, like, I am willing to do whatever it would take to make her better. Like if a doctor said to help reverse this, you need to stand on your head for 20 minutes a day. I would literally, um, jump and jump up and run up the hill and stand on my head with my mom for like 20 minutes every day. I would, I would learn to stand on my head. Right. Of course, of course. Oh, that is so, that is so interesting. There are so many, I mean, there are so many parallels to this experience and, yeah. and everything you say is just, just is so grief-like to me, but like the acceptance, I feel like I still, there are moments where I, I still refuse to accept, mm-hmm. accept what has happened to my life. And, you know? and it definitely could, it definitely could be, I'm almost thinking like the stages of grief nowadays are not a direct line the way people think they are. Maybe they're a circle because like, we'll oh get yeah, through one, we'll get through one stage of like, okay, I've accepted that she's sick, but I'm trying to see what we can do to fix it. And I'm angry that I can't fix it. And maybe my, and maybe I'm in denial about how bad it is, or maybe I'm not in denial about how bad it is. Maybe I'm, you know, pissed. I don't, maybe. <laughs> maybe somebody else in my family is in denial about how bad it is and I'm pissed that they're in denial. I don't right, know. Right. But I, but it, I also think that exists yeah. in, in like every form of like, I just don't think, well, I, I've said this many times on the show that like grief mm-hmm. is, is so not linear. This is, mm-hmm. although I guess, well, to be fair, I haven't studied the five stages of grief. I'm familiar with what yeah. they are. Like I know what each yeah. stage means, but I don't know if they were presented or researched or whatever in a linear state. I believe they were because I know that acceptance is supposed to be last, but everyone I talk to, everyone says that, you know, you, this is not linear. Like you will revisit stages over and over again in, in weird patterns and at very weird times in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, when you least expect to feel one of the stages, like it's going to sneak up on you and, that is yeah no it's so true but do you Uh, feel do you do you talk about this with like the state have you talked about the stages with anyone in your immediate um, family very much No, No, I really haven't. And in some ways that is the, that's the 
I don't want to say the problem, but like that is kind of the issue is that my family, we're not my dad. And when I say my family, I primarily mean like my dad, my brother and I, we're not talking to each other on the same way we used to. Mm. And that is what, like that frequency is wise or like the content of your conversation is different now. More like the way I would say it is I don't, I don't feel like we're united as a family the way we might have been previously. Interesting. And it's, and some of that is because, you know, my mom was the boss. She yeah. was the uniter. We also, we haven't yeah. gone through something like this. Right. It's the same way with when my brother and I were adults and, you know, we're still also dealing with other things all at the same time. Right. You also um, have like a life. <laughs> Yeah. And that's, well, and, it just compounds. And my parents have always told me that, you know, they don't want them to affect my choices in life, but there's also a certain reality of, and they keep saying that to this day, but I'm like, I just want to say like, dad, I appreciate that you say that, but let's call a spade a spade here. I'm not going to, you know, move to another country or move to the East Coast or something when you and mom are still going through this. That's just realistically not going to happen. I would consider myself a bad child if I did that. Right, right. Like, it's uh, it's so hard, especially as you become an adult, watching yeah. your parents, like, want to protect you. Yeah. You're just like, enough. Like, I, the cat's out of the bag. Like I know things are yeah. bad and it's just – my mom still yeah. does that sometimes. When she's grieving or is having like a a bad day, she won't want to like put it on me. And I was like, mm-hmm. "What? why? We're in this together. Like this is ridiculous. But that's just – that's what parents do. Yeah. No, it is what parents do. And it's – and it now I will say I am now, thanks to my therapist and my husband and a few other things – I'm at least trying to talk to my father a little bit about my struggles within our family unit and mm. my struggles with my mom. And I now, but the interesting thing that I had to do first is I had to tell him, I'm like, dad, I'm going to need to have a series of difficult conversations with you that I will probably get upset during said conversations. And I'm going to need you to be okay mm. with me being upset. And my therapist told me that I shouldn't use the word, okay, I should use, you know, I'm going to need you to tolerate me being upset. But I'm like, my father is a man of a certain age who, you know, my father, I like to joke, came of age during a time when men could have five emotions and three of them were about sports. <laughs> yeah. So I, I try to keep the, you know, therapy talk to a minimum around him. Um, and I just told him that. And then I have slowly started to say that, you know, I don't know, I don't know how to be around mom sometimes. I, I get frustrated with her and I don't know how to deal with that. And he, he, it hasn't gotten much farther than that, but just the sheer fact that I was able to tell him was a pretty big step because yeah. I was afraid to talk to him, not only because I was worried I would be violating the circle rule. Uh. And my husband told me he thinks that, you know, my father, my brother and I are all on the same level, so I shouldn't be upset. And mm. my therapist encouraged me to talk to my father. And it is also one of the things that's a little hard for me with the family dynamic is I admit I don't feel like I belong within my own family sometimes anymore now because it was always my dad and my brother. They are basically clones of each other. Like ask anyone in our family. It's they all say that. Yeah. But then 
so then it was me and my mom and we had our things that we did, but now I've lost my person. And so my brother and my dad still have their dynamic Mm. and I'm sitting here like, wait, what about me? What about me? What, What is going on here? And I've, and I did finally explain to my dad, you know, dad, I want you to know Thanksgiving last year was terrible for me because I felt like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders and we had a lot of help. We, it wasn't just, it wasn't like, Oh, I have to cook the whole dinner. It wasn't that at all. I had plenty of people who were helping, but I felt like I had this, I had weight of the world on me just trying to get everything organized and prepped and figured out. And when I asked you and Jason, my brother for help, it was kind of, well, I'll help you out, but tell me what you need from me. And I'm like, no, we need to start talking about emotional labor here a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a whole other conversation that I know a lot of women are having within their own families about a lot of things, but it it's hard. And then on top of that, this is one place where my anger, I think shows itself is I'm always wanting to protect my mom from the outside world in some ways. Like we went, Mm. um, this was, this was last year, uh, I think a very belated father's day, we went mini golfing and my mom, unfortunately, we didn't realize that mini golf was not a good idea for her. She was really struggling and she used to love to mini golf. Like it was one of her favorite things. And so that was super heartbreaking. And then occasionally there were people who were behind us, you know, trying to get through. It was a very crowded day. Everybody was waiting for somebody. And I was, and I'm pretty sure I was imagining it, but I felt like they might be giving us like dirty looks. And I wanted to turn around and just rage out like, you know, mama bear kind of thing. Like, I'm sorry, do you have a problem with us and us taking our sweet time? Because my mom has a neurological condition. Yeah. Feel bad about that. You just shame somebody for a medical condition. And they, they said nothing for all I know, they were looking in our direction and squinting because the sun was out. Yeah. Like I am, I am not saying that these people did anything, but I have this like instinctive reaction of, I must protect her at all Mm -hmm. times. And, but in protecting her, Am I infantilizing her in, uh, you know, and where is the balance there? Like, how do I protect her dignity, but still allow her to feel like she, you know, she is a capable human being? I also think some of that is, is self-protection. It, I'm sure some of it is definitely self-protection. You know. And, and then there is the added difficulty for lack of a better term of just, I am deeply concerned that this is going to happen to me someday. And that is scary. I mean, anyone who has met me knows that I talk a lot. It is the first thing people hear. I keep joking. I should just embroider it on t-shirts, but then that would be ironic that I wear a t-shirt that says, hi, I talk a lot when you're going to know that within five minutes of meeting me. Yeah. So there is this like, oh, dear God, what would I do if I inherit this? And my mom has apparently been tested, had her genes tested. I asked, I did ask her neurologist one time, should my brother and I get genetic testing? Yeah. And he basically told us, no, there's no point. Um, and so this is just like a freak thing? More like they've tested her genes for all the places that it could be. 
So while it's still genetic, it's more likely it's a combination of stuff on all other genes. So they don't even know what they're looking for because the, the sort of anecdotal proof that we have that my mom, that this is clearly kind of a genetic thing is that my mother's father, my grandfather, he had Parkinson's and my mom's uncle had Alzheimer's and that uncle's daughter, she now has, uh, I believe it's frontal temporal lobe dementia, uh-huh. FTD or something like that. And another cousin on the same side has Lou Gehrig's syndrome. Oh God. So oh there's clearly, so there's clearly something going on here, but it's, you know, it's not like a direct, oh, this person has A and th- and then the next person has A and the following person has A. Yeah. You know, it, it just is what it is. And this is a small way that this, I, I, I'm trying to learn to identify what I would jokingly call my irrational anger versus my perfectly rational anger. <laughs> and like my rational anger is being mad at people who say dumb things. Like if you think it's hard for you, imagine how hard it is for her. Right. My, my irrational anger is that my grandfather had Parkinson's. I believe if you have a, a parent who has Parkinson's, what I heard was you have like a one in four chance of getting it. And my mother has four younger brothers. And so they all assumed that one of them would be getting it. Mm. But it's like, oh, wait, no, maybe it's my mom who wound up with it. And there's this part of me that is so angry at them. Just, And I'm angry at her brothers for not being sick. And I recognize that is totally irrational. But there are days where I'm just like, it is not fair that my mom had to deal with this. She did everything she could to help look after her dad. She did everything she could to help take care of her own mother. And now she has this. What the hell? Where, you know, why isn't somebody else dealing with this? But that's like, that just is so. I also think that's such a grief emotion. Like it's, it's. Mm -hmm. That does go back to the five stage. People harp on the five stages of grief a lot. Maybe it's because they harp on like that there is no order or yeah. and you, ex- you re-experience whatever. But like I do think there is so much validity to that that like I, yeah. I, I, I think at least in, in my experience and it sounds like in yours, mm-hmm. there is all I wanted to do was like blame other people. I, I kind of do, to be honest, I, I'm not saying that's good. Like I I recognize that, but I, but I I do it. No, it, it's not, but I get why. If there was somebody to blame, if there was some villain that I could scream at, like that never was that more apparent when we were waiting and waiting for my mom to become a part of this drug trial and things kept just were getting difficult and it was like insurance companies are holding this up and this is happening and that's happening. And I literally said to my dad, I'm like, dad, what is the name of mom's doctor? I am going to go stalker crazy, find his house. And I'm going to show up with a pipe wrench and say, dude, you need to, you need to get this done or I'm going to beat you over the head with this. Like everything that you have said in regards to a lot of what you said is like it has to do with 
what other people are thinking and how other people are reacting to all of this in your life and your mom's life. But like, I want, and correct me if I'm wrong, correct me if this, if this sounds off base, but I wonder like, is there a piece of you that feels guilty for grieving and mourning someone who is like still alive physically, physically, I I should qualify. Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily think it's guilt for grieving her. Uh-huh. I think it's, I feel a lot of guilt for just the fact that I'm not handling it better. And maybe that is a grief thing. Oh, I haven't oh, oh thought my, about such a grief no, thing. But I guess what I more mean is I haven't thought about it in terms of, do I feel guilty that I'm grieving her? But it's more, I definitely feel guilty that in some ways, I'm just going to say it. I don't love spending time with her the way I used to because it's hard. I feel guilty for wanting to have my own free time and being a little tight, being a little upset that like sometimes she asks me to come do her nails or something. And I feel terrible for just admitting that out loud because like, well, I, I mean, you do, you you feel how you, I I, I totally get that, but. And From I where I'm standing, that, it's, like, it's, it's so logical to me that you would feel that yeah, way. Yeah, I feel so bad dealing with it. Yeah. And, I, and I guess that's more the guilt I feel is that I'm not handling this the way, truthfully, the way I think she would. Because my mom has always been so damn capable. And I feel like in some ways I'm letting her down because I'm not able to be her in this situation. I'm not Mm. able to be calm and rational and Mm. all of this other stuff. And it is so hard for me Mm. that I have no one that I can really speak to about that because the, sadly, the interesting thing about grieving someone who's still there in certain ways is I bet that if I was able to talk to my mom about this kind of stuff, she would she would be the person who could make me feel okay but i can't and she can't like if i could yeah if we could if like there was some magic eight ball where like i could talk to her in her dream or something where she's perfectly you know she's okay again or i could just be telepathic with her i think it would be okay like she would probably be able to tell me what i need to hear to move on and yeah. like be okay but like right now I I'm not ready to say that because I'm so scared of hurting her mm. and I don't want to I don't want to do that mm. that is so and, complicated <laughs> yeah like that's just the only I mean it, I can it it is people and now that I am trying harder to be more open with people about what I'm coping with, people ask me like, how are you doing? How's your mom? And I'm like, I have no idea how to answer that question. Yeah. I, and I'm like, she's not dead. She hasn't yeah. fallen in X amount of time. She, what do you, you want know, from me? What do you want me to say? Like, you know, I, I mean, hell, I asked her one time, how is she doing? And she said, like, well, if I get my 200 milligrams of Zoloft a day or whatever the dosage was, I'm fine. And I'm like, I appreciate that she can make a joke, but that's also still a little sad to hear for me. 
it. I don't. The, I I always hesitate. The guilt is there, right? Yeah. No, and if if it's if it's an emotion other than guilt like that, that's fine. I'm just I'm trying to like yeah. piece through this, and it's yeah. It's always. I never want to compare my ex- something I'm tr- I'm I'm really working on is mm-hmm. not projecting my experience with death or with loss or with grief onto other people who are going through the same thing mm-hmm. because people handle it so differently mm-hmm. um and so I you know I hesitate obviously our experiences are are so so different um yeah but but I just different but there was still a lot that I have related to in listening to your podcast and listening to you talk about your story. You know, the things that people say, the, the, the issues within the family, the wanting things to be different. I, you know, the biggest difference is simply that I'm processing it in some ways before, I don't want to say before the fact, but there are cases where when someone passes, it is just a relief for the people. For sure, for sure. There. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, yeah, there are some cases where it, it's a relief. And I, God, it is hard for me to say this, but that might be the case with my mom, where when the end finally comes, because I've done so much grieving beforehand, it'll just be different. Um, and... I don't really know because I don't know what the end of this train ride is going to look like, but that, that is the situation. That is just the reality of it. My, my husband has been very blessed as well that he's never had to go through something like this. Um, and it's very funny because there are things that I tell him sometimes and like, you know, we have all this technology. You're, he still has two of his four grandparents still with us. Like you should record yourself having conversations with them. And the two that passed that, uh, one was when he was in high school. So he got a very long time with that person. And the other one was just a year or two ago, his grandmother who, and in both the cases, these were people who were basically perfectly healthy and fine until they weren't. And when I say until they weren't, I mean, we're talking like minutes. It was like, Oh, everything's great. And now they're gone. And that is shocking and that is scary, but I, I have told him sometimes I'm very jealous. Oh, I am uh, very jealous that you've had that. Oh my like, God. I said this exact, exact thing to my husband after he lost his, his last living grandparent was his grandmother who died in her sleep. Yeah. And she was old and I was just like, I'm, I'm so envious that this is your mm-hmm. experience with loss. Not that I would ever yeah. wish, like, wish this on anybody. I, I wouldn't wish this no. on my worst enemy. But it's just, it's so hard to not look at people who've had these, like, quote, yeah. normal experiences with loss. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I pine for that. Like, I, I, and, I long for that. And the interesting thing is, like, I mentioned this earlier, how much this changed our whole family dynamic is, like, I always thought my mom, like... I like, not that you think about your parents dying, but I used to joke that like, you know, something will happen to my dad because he's older and men typically don't live as long as women do for a variety of reasons, you know, some, but when he's in his eighties or nineties, he will 
pass peacefully and then my mom will continue to live and she will have a great great life and she'll get and then one day she'll just decide i think i am ready to go on to the next stage get all her affairs in order place herself in the coffin close the coffin and like force her heart to stop and i know that logically that's not the case but like no, that's I, the kind I, of yeah. person my mother my mother was i mean still is even that is hard to talk because i don't know what language to use for her yeah. Because she's still here, but she's not oh, she's God, not the mom yeah. I grew up with. So I always thought that and now suddenly it's like, well, what if dad can't take care of mom anymore? Is he are they both gonna go to assisted living? What if she passes before him? Would like will my dad move in with me and my husband? Will we move in, you know, with yeah. him? How long are they gonna stay in their house? My dad used to always say, like he used to joke all the time, I wanna die in this house and when I'm and then sprinkle my ashes in the lot and I'm gonna haunt whoever builds a house there because damn them for ruining my city. <laughs> like it it has brought all this up that like there is this part of me that wants to sit down with my dad and say, Dad, we need to make a plan, but he doesn't want to, and I don't want to push him because I, I do, I don't want to say my father's in denial that my mom is sick. It's definitely not that he is. He's not in denial in that way, but denial has served my father very well for a long time. It's been his main coping strategy. Like his mother passed, he moved to California, you know, something got hard. He went on a big adventure. His, uh, his kids had issues. He would find some way to fix it. Yeah. And like that, that was how life worked. He's a, he's a fixer and a like, if I can't fix it, I'm going to do something crazy. So nobody has to think about it. Mm. Um, you know, Oh, my children are both, my youngest is graduating from high school and my oldest is graduating from college. And I might have to face that I'm an empty nester. Okay. We're going on a trip around the world. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. Yeah. Um, and so, so having, being like, how do I force him to have this kind of conversation? Do I say, dad, no, you can't joke your way out of this one. We have to talk about what's going to happen when your wife of almost 50 years dies. Yeah. How do you, you you don't want to force something like that on someone. Yeah. (sighs) So it is, there's a lot. It it is. Yeah, it is a lot. And I, I'm not saying, I don't know. I feel like I need to part to like give advice to people who are no. listening, but <laughs> this but is not, no, I, I, know. I Which, no, I know that's not the point. That's not the point. I just have this urge to be like, so if you know anyone who's going through something difficult, don't say something stupid. That's your PSA. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great, I'm going to end it right there. No, um, no, I, I, I think, you know, I always, I always tell people like this, this podcast doesn't exist as like mm-hmm. a, a, a an alternative to like a, an advice column. Like there is no advice yeah. that you can give to someone who is in the midst of the worst thing that they've ever experienced in their entire lives. But it's just knowing that there are people no. who like get you, who can validate you are not crazy for thinking this. You are yeah. not crazy for feeling this way. Like – this is and real I, and, and you're not alone. I think that's more the advice we need to start giving is not to the people who are grieving, but the people who are there for the ones in grief. Like you have a friend in grief, be there for them. Yeah. Let the If they have a day where they're angry, take them to a rage room. <laughs> take them to a rage room and maybe at one point they're going to break down crying. And when that happens, hug them yeah. or 
just let them talk because I will say for me, when, when I just put on Instagram that I was not okay and I needed someone, I needed people to be okay with me not being okay. And I kept it a very small group. The people who reached out and let me talk a little bit really helped. Yeah. And just knowing that there were a few people who I didn't have to pretend I'm okay around. Yeah. It's that, important to have. That was a big thing. And I guess if we need to be okay with some people not being okay. Yeah. That That's... that is the biggest one. But I am what but I'm glad that people like you, Ruby, are doing podcasts like this that Thank give you. people something to talk about because I do think in my case, just listening to what people have been through, I'm like, wow, I can really relate. Mm, I I'm glad. I can understand. I understand this, and it feel and it it gives some validation to not only what I'm feeling, but also a little bit more. It gives me the ability to say, I know I'm not alone in this. Yeah. And I'm gonna say that I'm not alone in this. Yeah. You are not alone in this. Um regardless of the experience, regardless of, of whether or not the loss or the grief process is the same as yours, whatever, like you are not alone in this, Amy. Um, Thank you. And I'm, I'm so sorry for what you are experiencing and, and you are an inspiration to many that for coming on here and, and talking about this and, and being so open with your experience. I really appreciate it. Thank well, you for, thank you for doing this. I feel the same way about you and thank you for having this podcast and I th- and thank you to everybody who's listening. I hope that everybody out there, you guys can take away a little something that hopefully will help make the world just a tiny bit easier for people who are hurting. <laughs>